This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. Book of Proverbs chapter 2. Now in our series on the subject of wisdom, I know we're going back and forth between wisdom and our red letter studies, the teachings of our Lord. We've only covered chapter one in book of Proverbs. And so we're going to go ahead and move into chapter two tonight, beginning in verse one, to begin with the words of Solomon, where he says, my son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding. If thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. And so if you'll remember from... Our last study on the subject of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1, how that beginning in verse 20 of the previous chapter, Solomon begins to present wisdom as a woman. He personifies her. He personifies her as a woman and presents her as someone who is out in the masses of the population, the teeming masses of humanity, going about their daily obligations, their daily business, and crying out to them actually going out and trying to appeal to them, to draw them to her, not with some sort of, uh, with any kind of illicit motivation. Remember, this is wisdom that we're talking about, not lasciviousness, not carnality, none of these baser or more natural things, but wisdom. And wisdom, the Bible tells us, again, still personifying her or representing wisdom as uh, as a person, particularly a woman. The Bible tells us that at the very beginning, God possessed her and she was present at the creation of the universe and at the creating of all things. And so here, Solomon in chapter two is still presenting her as still presenting wisdom as a person to be sought and I know we know it's symbolism. We know it's metaphor. Okay, wisdom isn't literally a woman. There is no god of wisdom or goddess of wisdom. We understand that, don't we? Christianity, we have one God. Amen. One. You know, who's that? Well, He is God, Jehovah, and He sent His Son, Jesus, who is also God, one God. And then you start getting into talks about the Trinity and how that's all composed, and people get confused. But there's no reason to be. God is an infinite God. He is beyond our mortal and finite understanding. And that's good enough for us. Amen. Really, it's good to understand, but you can't wrap your brain around something infinite. You just have to take the infinite at face value and trust that God has that under control. And then you go with it from there. So he's presenting wisdom again, still as a woman, but as a woman to be pursued. He says to his son, if thou wilt receive my words, hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding. And then in verse four, he refers to wisdom again as a woman. 
If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasures. He's trying to get it into his son's heart. You need to pursue this thing called wisdom and you need to pursue this thing called knowledge. We cannot as believers, especially, oh man, especially in a modern educated, however faultily, okay, in a modern, literate, educated age, we cannot be simpletons. We can't. We do the kingdom of God no favors. We do our Father in heaven no favors when we have the kind of attitude of, oh, I don't need all that knowledge stuff. I just know that Jesus is Lord and that's good enough for me. Okay, well, that's good enough for you for salvation. But we have to be prepared, don't we, to give an answer to those that ask. To give an answer to those that ask concerning our hope and concerning our relationship with God or even concerning God himself. We have to know something, don't we? And not only for our sake, but for others. But in the context of chapter 2 here, it begins with for our own sake. Now let's read on. He says, if you seek her as silver, okay, that's something to be valued. And if you search for her as hid treasure, again, something to be valued, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Okay, well, then does that, does that make Christianity dependent upon our knowledge then? Does that make salvation dependent upon our knowledge? Well, no. No, it doesn't. Because, and I think we've said this before, maybe even more than once. Christianity does not demand intellect. It doesn't demand a genius IQ. It doesn't demand a, a lofty education, a degree to go along with it, that we have nothing against these things, okay? They simply are what they are. They can be used either for good or for evil. Christianity, the way of, the way of life, the way of Christ, requires none of those things. What it requires is faith. And we understand that. So that's the baseline. And that's what gets us through the door. But now having been born again, and then we come back to this again and again and again, having been born again by the grace of God, by the faith, by the blood of Jesus Christ, and by faith in God, and so on, having been born again and brought into his family, Shall we then remain simple and ignorant concerning spiritual things, concerning wisdom, concerning the knowledge of God? Or should we, as, should we, as God's own dear children, seek to learn and to know more? We keep coming back around to that again and again. It's, it's, it's a recurring theme all throughout the Word. You see it, you see it all throughout the book of Proverbs. You see it all throughout, we see it all throughout the letters of Paul the Apostle. He's always telling us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. Because when you don't grow in knowledge and you have the faculties to grow in knowledge, you just don't apply them and you don't learn, you don't seek and you don't, when you don't grow in knowledge, then something else is going to come in and is going to fill that. Something else is going to come in and it's going to attempt to fill that. And so what's your best defense against bad doctrine? Knowledge. When we know the word for ourselves. And so we really, in our churches, we really don't take, and I don't want to sound like I'm throwing stones, okay, but it's a matter of historical record, I do believe, and uh, reports from those that have grown up in the particular system, we really don't take 
the medieval Catholic approach of only the priests get to know the word. And then they share little bits and snippets with the people in order to control them by controlling the knowledge and the information. We are lavish with knowledge around here. And we really believe in it. That's why we're running that promotion that, that we began right at the beginning of the year about uh, getting through the Bible. For the first one to get through the entire Bible uh, before the end of 2019 gets a wonderful, nice new Bible. Okay, And you can take that vinyl covered thing that you got from a Walmart five years ago that's cracking at the spine and you can retire that thing. You get something nice. It's going to last you. We are lavish with knowledge around here. I'm not saying we have all knowledge, but God has all knowledge. And such as we have, we share and we encourage it. Read your word. Read your Bible. Spend time in it. Meditate on the scriptures. See what they mean. Ask if there's something that you don't, you can't, you're not quite getting or whatever. Ask. Here we are. It's why we're here. And so, Let's go back into what we're saying here. He says, if you seek wisdom and you seek knowledge and all these things and receive uh, my words is what Solomon was saying to his son. Receive his words. Hide his commandments in his heart and all that. If you do all that, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So, well, why is that so coveted? Why is that something that we should value so highly? Why is it something we should seek after with all of our heart? Why can't, you know what, preacher, just distill it all down for me. Give me a list of bullet points. Do these things. Don't do these things. Hand them to me and I can memorize them and then I'll be good and on my way. I'm busy, don't you know? Well, because those things are fine, but they don't impart understanding, do they? Rules, and we've talked about this, I know, but we're coming back around to it again. Rules are fine for those who do not discern. Rules can give quick and easy answers. Should I do this or should I do this? Well, the rule says this. Okay, so I'm going to do that. And then you don't have to think. And you don't have to think. You don't have to reason. You don't have to develop discernment. You don't have to understand how to rightly divide right from wrong. And so then what happens is your entire Christian life, your entire relationship with God and your Christianity is rules. And then when somebody calls you on it, you can't give an answer because you don't possess understanding. Now, if you'll allow me, this isn't a rabbit trail. This ties directly into the point that we're making here. Let's go back way back into the Old Testament. Let's go all the way back to the Exodus and the things that were going on there. And so Moses came in. We know this account. Moses came into Egypt being sent by God. He came into Egypt, stood before Pharaoh, let my people go. The whole back and forth, the plagues, Finally, Pharaoh lets him go and they're effectively being driven out of Egypt. And then he waffles again and chases after them again. And then over the across the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army gets drowned or as the old hymnal says, drowned. That's not good English. And then off into the wilderness they go. And then Moses on the mountain and then he begins to receive the law from God and he begins to share that with the people and a lot of, well, the very, the very first part of it, just about that we encounter is those ten commandments. And it's ten nicely organized, bullet-pointed commandments. Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. And it's ten of them. And it's all pretty clear cut. Not a whole lot of questions go into explaining the ten commandments. 
So why can't we have that today, being Christians? Well, you have to remember, when Moses, by the hand of God, brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he brought them out of slavery, where for about four centuries they had been born slaves, lived as slaves, reasoned as slaves, thought as slaves. And slaves don't have to do a whole lot of thinking. Slaves do what they're told. They don't need reason. They don't need uh, intellect. They don't need discernment. They don't need any of these things. They just need to know how to follow instructions and do it now. Why aren't you done yet? It's one of the, it's one of the many horrors of slavery, okay, is that it takes the human mind and it shoves it in a box so that it cannot develop. And so now having been liberated from their slavery, the children of Israel didn't just race into the promised land and start setting up businesses. They didn't just start setting up courts of law and businesses and start uh, doing things at that kind of a level, at the level of a free people, because all they had ever known was bondage and slavery. Now, I'll try to stay on point here. There's a risk of, uh, of getting lost in the depths of this, but bear with me. I'll try to stay on point. So what was required? Well, they weren't exactly in a place to discern a whole lot between right and wrong, good and evil. And so to get them started, God took them as they were, as former slaves now freed, and he began to develop their minds. But first he had to give them a few simple rules to follow to keep them on the straight and the narrow. No gods before me, he told them. Honor your mother and your father and you will not have any gods before me. You won't make any graven image of something and then bow down to worship it. You know, here's a Sabbath day. It's holy. You're going to keep it holy. You're not going to do any work and you're not going to covet your neighbor's stuff and you're not, and all these different things and you're not going to bear false witness and you're not going to commit murder. And you're, just a few simple rules that were easy to understand and should have been easy, uh, just as easy to follow, Right? And from there, as they continued their journey in the wilderness, and Moses began to teach them more and more of the law, then their minds began to develop. Now look at the Jews today. Okay? They have garnered for themselves, as a whole, okay, I'm not saying every Jew, but as a whole, the Jews as a nation and as a people have garnered for themselves a reputation for being extremely good at a lot of things particularly the handling of money, the understanding and the practice of law. And I'm not just talking about the law of Moses. I'm talking about law in general, okay, in a much more secular sense. Um, they, have, they have produced tremendous numbers of scientists. Look at how many Nobel Peace Prize winners over the last century have been Jews. And you may be surprised. So what do you get from all of that? We can't be simple. We have to be knowledgeable. Our salvation doesn't depend on it. That's not what I'm saying. But as God's own people, we should seek wisdom and knowledge. Now let's read on and we'll talk more about why. So he says, Then, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Verse 6. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. Listen to that. He lays it up like 
like it's a resource to be first stored and then distributed liberally. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. What's a buckler? Is that like my belt buckle? No, a buckler is a, it's a, it, you have to look it up, but it's a, it's a small round convex shield that straps to one arm. It's called, it's been called a buckler. It's a type of shield. It's an instrument of defense, okay? He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. This is part of the heritage of a believer. We get wisdom, we exercise it, and both God and wisdom act as a defense against things that come our way. Because we're born into this world, we don't have a lot of innate knowledge, do we? You could ask Brooklyn, I don't think she'd be able to answer. You think? Hey, what do you know, kid? And she'll just look at you, maybe give you a smile. You know, because why not? There's not a lot, well there's a lot going on up there, but there's not a lot of knowledge up there. It all has to be, it all has to come after market, so to speak. We're not born with it. We have a few short, we have a short list of instincts, but by and large, everything has to come to us by way of others. He keepeth, excuse me, verse eight. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth, preserveth the way of his saints. So you take all of this in and it's beginning to paint a picture. Wisdom, good. Knowledge, good. Why are they good? Because they are a defense. They are a shield. They keep our paths. They preserve the way of the, of the Lord's own saints. They keep us from making stupid decisions, don't they? Because when you know better, then you know what to do. Now, we can override that and, and charge off in an unwise direction and do something uh, that is foolish, and then it comes back around and it bites us either a little bit or a lot, but we should seek it nonetheless. Wisdom, that is. Verse 9, he says, Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment. And that's coming right back to what we were talking about, the case of Moses and the Jews that are just coming out of Israel and had not even developed their minds yet into, in, in the areas of discernment and right and wrong and judgment. He says, Thou shalt understand righteousness. Then it's going to make sense to you. You'll understand it. And judgment. Well, what is judgment? We've talked about that just since the beginning of the year. Judgment isn't just God raining down destruction on people. That's not actually what judgment means. Judgment means judging between right and wrong. It is a deep and innate level of understanding of what's right and what's wrong. And not just what's right and wrong, but why it's right or why it is wrong. Are we tracking this? This is critically important. It's critically important because this is the difference between this is the difference between someone who's just following a list of rules because they were told do this, don't do that, and a person who possesses the wisdom and understands why it is the way that it is. Wisdom is to be coveted. Now, I think in a, in a class recently, we shared that little diagram. It was a triangular diagram. It had four levels in it. And at the bottom, at the largest part, uh, was labeled data. And then the level above that was referred to as information. That's when all the, the, the ones and the zeros are just the, the sea of text of whatever it is a person is looking at uh, uh, graduates in our understanding from being just data. And it becomes information. It starts to make sense. Okay, well, now it makes sense. But then there's a level above that. 
and that is knowledge, okay? When that information, when we either memorize it by rote or we, or which a lot of people do, it's not the best way to learn, but somehow some people, some people learn it best that way. When that information then becomes part of your mind, well then now it's not just information on a page, now it's information in your mind, now it is knowledge. And then at the top of that diagram, that last part, was, is what's called wisdom. And that's when that data that has coalesced into information, which has now been absorbed by your mind as knowledge, descends into the heart, so to speak, and becomes wisdom. It's now part of you. And now it's no longer, I'm obeying a rule. It is I am wise in understanding it, and I'm glad that I've been obeying it because now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. We want the Word of God and the knowledge of God to be in that top block. Wisdom. Wisdom. And remember how we've talked about what God seeks to establish in New Christians and in young Christians, he seeks to establish it and establish this in them early is a character of obedience. Okay, just like any of us who have been parents or are parents or uh, or have or have have parents that have raised us. Okay, it's one thing that you wanted to do in your kids was establish a habit and a character of obedience in them. Why? Because when they're young and they're small. They don't understand wisdom yet. They don't understand reasoning yet. There are very few basic things that they understand. And so you have to get a habit of obedience ingrained in them first because then later on as they grow and they mature, they mature, they develop, uh, they develop reasoning and understanding. And then the light of wisdom comes on in their mind one day and then we understand why. But we already have the track record of doing the thing that we should have done then it was a rule now it is wisdom and we understand it and now it's in our hearts and it's become a part of who we are not just because of obedience but because now we understand the wisdom of it and what you know what probably one of the most down-to-earth nuts and bolts examples of this sort of thing is brushing your teeth no kidding check this out follow along okay brushing your teeth when you were five you didn't care you cared nothing about that sort of thing. You didn't have an understanding of what that meant. You didn't know what tooth decay was. You didn't understand what dental pain was. You didn't understand what, what a dentist was all about. You had not yet learned to, uh, to sweat cold sweats of terror at the sound of a drill. You know that sound. Everybody knows that sound. And it, nobody likes that sound. Nobody has an app on their phone of ambient dental hygienist noise. You know, I'm going to relax to the sound of a drill. You know, as it jerks to a stop in there. No, uh -uh. you didn't know any of that when you were five. All you knew was you ate dessert and then you ate, you ate dinner, then you ate dessert. And then you, you ran off to bed or you ran off to play. You cared nothing of that sort of thing. But mom and dad had a rule. Brush your teeth, then go to bed. Brush your teeth, go to bed. 
Why do I have to brush my teeth? Because I said so. Brush your teeth and go to bed. Well, the because I said so was the short answer, but you were establishing a rule. You were establishing a habit of obedience, a character of obedience, so that when they get into their early teens, mid-teens, late teens, maybe early 20s, depending on how it is, because adolescence gets stretched out so long now by a society that doesn't believe in producing adults. Um, it, that's a different subject. But when you got into your teens and your 20s, you had already established the habit that had been working for you. And then later on when you learned, oh, because if I don't brush my teeth, what will happen is I'll get this thing called a cavity. And then the cavity will grow and it will burrow down through the tooth down to the nerve. And then I'll experience excruciating pain. And then it'll abscess. And then if I don't get it taken care of then, then I'll get blood poisoning and I'll die. Let's just think on that for a second. It's like, man, you're making painting a dark picture. Well, yeah. Because some people don't learn until they're experiencing all of those things. And then they're playing catch-up for years and they're spending years at the dentist office trying to repair all of this stuff because they didn't learn the habit of either obedience or they didn't learn the rule. They didn't take care of themselves. Well, in the spirit, when we're new to the faith, it seems like there's a lot of do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Dress like this, not like that. Look like this, not like that. Don't talk like this, talk like this. And, and so it seems like, it, you know, stop doing this, start doing this. And that's something that we talk about a lot also. And so it seems like there's a lot of rules. But as we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of God, there's a point where those rules stop being just rules. When the light comes on one day, and it comes on one day for one thing, comes on another day for another thing, and then... And then suddenly it's, it's an understanding. Oh, that's why. Well, how about that? And then it hits you with joy because you've been doing right since you first received it maybe as what sounded like a rule. And it doesn't hit you with, it doesn't hit you with grief or with sorrow because you blew off the rule for years prior to that or months or weeks or however long it was. We seek wisdom so that we may be full of understanding. Because a lot of times the best believers are the ones who understand why they do what they do and why they don't do the things that they don't do any longer. It's like, well, I don't lie anymore because the preacher told me I, stood, I shouldn't lie. So, all right, well, that'll get you by, but that's pretty sorry, really. It ought to be, I don't lie anymore because I know that all of the madness and pathology in the world comes from deception. All of the madness, all of the insanity, all of the evil, it, all of the evil that you find in the world ultimately has its roots burrowed way down somewhere in a root of deception. And I don't want to participate in that sort of thing. All the madness of society, I don't want to participate in it. I want to be an honest person. I want to be an upright person and I want someone to be able to take me at my word without making the same. And this ties into our, our afternoon teaching. If you'll suffer me to let me jump over here really quick. It's in Matthew five. You can turn with me if you like or you can just ride along. And we're only going to be there for a moment. Matthew five, where he says. Verse 33, he says, again, you have heard that it has been said by them of old time. Thou shalt not forswear thyself but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all. 
Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is, it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Not without cheating. But verse 37, he says, But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. Yes, yes, no, no. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. What was he saying? What, why does he, you're saying that my communication should be plain and when I say yes, that should be good enough and when I, should, when I say no, that should be good enough and that I don't have to make these bombastic, inflated, over-the-top declarations and oaths and vows and things. By heaven, as sure as I stand before you, what I'm saying is true. That's what Jesus was decrying right here. Don't force, don't swear at all. He wasn't talking about profanity, although that should have nothing to do, that, sh that shouldn't be in our communication at all either, ever under any circumstances. What he was saying is not to be making oaths and these great swelling words. Why do people talk like that? The ones who do, why do people talk like that? Because they don't have reputations for being honest. They don't have reputations for being forthright and clear and honest in their language. And so they have to compensate with ridiculous communications like that. As sure as the day is long, what I'm saying is going to come to pass. It's like, what does that even mean? Why can't you just say what you mean and then just let the truth of it speak for yourself? And I know we sort of crossed over from one teaching into another teaching, but these tie together. There's reasons why Jesus says not to be like that. Because if you are plain and honest all the time in your communication, you will develop a reputation for being honest. And in time, and it always takes time, okay, but that's fine. We live in time, so that's not a bad thing. In time, people will know. This is a person that will always tell me the truth no matter what even if it hurts. Now, that doesn't mean that we're cruel in how we communicate it because that's a whole different problem, okay? Christians should be graceful in their communications most of the time, at least in so much as they have it within them to be. You know what I'm saying? You know, we shouldn't be mean-spirited, rotten, harsh, cruel people that, that delight in others' discomfiture. And, and so we, we tell them how it is. That's just how I am. That's, that's how I am. You hear some people, they... <laughs> Was it, was it you, Reverend Ritter, I was talking with lately about this? It was, wasn't it? It was on Saturday. We we're talking about people have used being Italian or being Irish or being uh, Russian or you name it, or they've, they've used being from uh, Michigan or they've used from being from the East Coast. They've used any number of different things as excuses for being bullies with their language and being harsh. Oh, I just tell it like it is. It's like, all right, well, soften it up a little bit, okay? Can you? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor, and you don't have to be brutal. But if we are honest all the time, we develop a reputation for it. And when we have a reputation for being honest, then people know they can take you at your word. And then we don't need to inflate our speech with all these ridiculous exaggerations to try to persuade people that we're being truthful. People will know it already. And the truth speaks for itself. It really does. So he says, He layeth up sound wisdom, verse 7. For the righteous, he's a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keeps the paths of judgment and preserves the way of his saints. And then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity. Equity. That's something to sit there and meditate on. 
Then shalt thou understand righteousness. You'll understand judgment between right and wrong. You'll understand equity. That's fairness and, and, and slants towards a reference to fairness of exchange in your dealings with other people. You'll understand equity. Yea, every good path. We understand these things as we grow in knowledge of God and wisdom. Verse 10, when wisdom entereth into thine heart, and this, we talked about this at the very beginning of this series of studies, when wisdom entereth into thine heart and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee. Understanding shall keep thee. And now the next several verses all the way down through verse 18 gives us an understanding of a little bit more of a practical application with it. I'm going to read through this. We're not going to teach on it tonight because we're out of time. But be at the will of the Lord. We'll either be back in this next week or we'll be back in Matthew. We'll be in chapter 17 next week. We'll see. He says, when, when, when wisdom entereth into thine heart and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. Well, why is that important? Well, he begins to tell us in verse 12, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh froward things, who leave the paths of uprightness and walk in the ways of darkness. He's not talking about someone that never knew better. He's talking about someone who knew better, but left it, left it behind, who leave the paths of, up, of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and they froward in their paths, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even the stranger with flat, which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death and her paths unto the dead. None that go in, none that go unto her return again. Neither take they hold of the paths of life. So why is wisdom and knowledge good? To deliver you from people like this. Evil men, strange women, strangers who seek to entice you into things that are not right. Wisdom and knowledge, brothers and sisters, wisdom and knowledge, they are part of the wealth of heaven. And if we seek them as silver, as hid treasure, wisdom and knowledge will preserve us by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.